All right, McLean Bible Church, it is good to be uh, with you guys this morning. So welcome everyone that's in the room, and welcome everyone that's watching online from Montgomery County and Loudoun, Prince William, Arlington, and those who are at the house right now. Uh, it is good to be with you today. And so as the video just said, we are in uh, really the second sermon of a series called Follow Jesus. It's that simple. And so today, uh, we're going to be focused on uh, Mark 1 verses 16 through 20. Uh, Mark 1, 16 through 20. So if you have a Bible, go ahead there. Uh, Mark 1, 16 through 20. So while you do, I'll introduce myself. My name is Eric. Uh, I am the location pastor over at our Arlington uh, location. And so uh, to give you guys a bit about Arlington, uh, Arlington has been around, NBC Arlington, for about 15 years. Um, It was honestly the first effort at multi-site here at McLean Bible Church. And so over the last 15 years, we've met in theaters, we've met in other people's churches. We are currently meeting here at 5 p.m., which kind of feels like coming back to live with your parents. And so I appreciate you guys taking us back in. Uh, But all this to say, uh, we're excited because very soon this fall, uh, NBC Arlington will have its very own building in the courthouse neighborhood right in the heart of Arlington. And we're excited about this. And we thank God for this. And so I want to put on the screen a few uh, photos of, of the progress that has been made, will be in, in this fall. And this building is a blessing from the Lord, but I want to say that we think about this building um, from two different perspectives. On one hand, physically, we know that, yo, this is amazing, but this building is simply concrete and glass. Like all things that we touch and feel, this building has a shelf life. This building would not exist forever. It would be foolish for us to put eternal stock in things that thieves can break in and steal and moth and rust can destroy. But on the other hand, we are are so excited for what this building will represent. It's kind of like when you grew up, and if you grew up in a great household of loving parents, when you drive past your childhood home, that house is not just a house. Like that's a place where, where you experienced for the first time unconditional love and acceptance. It was a place where you learned how to build deep friendships and experience grace and forgiveness for the first time. Your childhood house is not simply a house. And in the same way, our hope is that that church building will be something more than it looks. Our hope is that, and we pray that many people in our city will experience and be reminded of God's grace and love through the proclamation of His Word and through seeing His Word proclaimed in baptism and the Lord's Supper. We pray that this building will be a place where people can experience care, the care and community of God in the way that His people treat them. That God's children will love the community unconditionally and meet needs eagerly and bear burdens gladly. All this to say, our prayer is that this location will serve as a signpost that points to a God who is busy building his church and building up his people. And so I want you guys to pray along with us. And so until we can get there, NBC Arlington is actually meeting here 5 p.m., for worship. And if you live in Arlington or close to it, if you live in the district or if you live in Alexandria, I want to invite you to join us. You can get updates um, at our e-news. So that's mcleanbible.org slash e-news, and we would love to get you connected. All right, that's enough about the building. Let's go ahead and go to Mark 1, 16 through 20. Here we go. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, 
he, namely Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the, but, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we praise you because you are the God who, bid, who bids us to come to you. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be your disciples, for the very fact that we did nothing to deserve you. We did nothing to deserve the fact that we, that, that we should be called sons and daughters of the living God, and yet by your grace you take us in through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we hear your word proclaimed today, Father, may we hear your word, and may we understand that your word demands a response. So may we say whatever you are telling me to do, help us to do it. Oh, we love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 All right. So there are many inventions that have been made in the history of our world that can be considered uh, one of the, that, that can be considered the greatest invention ever. There's a lot of inventions in the running. People often cite the printing press, or, 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 or they cite the electric light, or, or they cite the T-model, the, 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 the automobile. I don't agree. I don't think the competition is particularly close, because the greatest invention in history is an invention that many of us take for granted. Matter of fact, if you, if, if you, are, a, if you are in Gen Z, you probably have never even heard of this invention because you've taken it for granted. For many of you, you have been spoiled, and you have been, you have been spoiled by the fact that you're able to pick up your phone when it's ringing and look at it, and you're able to see who is on the other side of that call before you answer it. Let me break it down for you. Back in the day, there used to be a time in which you had to pick up the phone to find out who was on the other end. Scary, right? This is the wild, wild west back in the day. We were living on the edge because you did not know if the person on the other end of that call was someone that you were trying to avoid or it was an opportunity of the lifetime. You didn't know. You had to answer the phone. We were rolling the dice. And that was until the greatest invention that has ever been curated, the caller ID. I remember when we first got this in my house and how good it was. You see, caller ID was this little screen that you simply saw the caller's name and the caller's number. In other words, caller ID laid out some information in front of you so that you could properly determine if you should answer the call. Today we're in Mark 1, 16 through 20, and this passage is all about how Jesus calls four disciples to come follow him. And as we dive into this text, I want you to know that this passage is not merely here for you to simply celebrate that God calls, that, that God called those particular disciples. No. This passage is here to, for you to determine what you will do with the fact that Jesus calls you. You see, this text is here for, to serve as a caller ID of sorts. You are meant to see some information about the call of Jesus in order for you to determine whether or not you will answer it. 
And from the top of this sermon, I'm going to show my hand. This is not a call that you want to avoid. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. And so there's so many themes in this text that, that, that's here. But today we are going to talk about the nature of Jesus' call to everyone. We're going to answer three questions today as we dive into this text. We're going to talk about how wide does this call go? We're going to talk about what does, what does this call cost? And then we're going to talk about who's all on the call. How wide does the call go? How much does the call cost? And who's all on the call? So here's the first question that we're going to answer today. How wide does the call go? And here's the answer. This is my first point. The call of Jesus, the call to follow Jesus is available to all, including you. The call to follow Jesus is available to all, including you. Let's look at the text. You see, we see here that Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he walks up on brothers Simon and Andrew in verse 16, and he, and, and he walks on James and John in verse 19, and he calls them to himself. And we see the content of that call, at least for Simon and Andrew, in verse 17. Look at the verse. It says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And let me tell you today, this call reveals something about the heart of Jesus, something amazing. You know what it, it reveals? It reveals that Jesus' heart is full of grace. Jesus' heart is full of grace. Let me explain. Jesus' call to follow him was so far different than the call of the leaders of his day. In Jewish cultures, here's the thing. Rabbis did not call students to follow them. Students went after rabbis, and typically rabbis would choose students based off of their ability and their capacities. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus does something different. Instead of these men coming to Jesus or coming after Jesus, this is what Jesus does. Jesus goes after them. Jesus comes after them, and his call isn't depending on their ability to grasp the Torah. His call isn't depending on them passing a theology exam or what they previously done. Jesus comes right to their front door. He steps on their block, and he says, come with me. This says so much about the heart of Jesus Christ, and I hope you feel this right now because he is willing to come right where, wherever you are. He's willing to come to you. The call to follow Jesus is available to everyone, including you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter any of that. He looks at you and he says, I want you with me. Follow me. This is the beauty of the call of Jesus. However, listen to me, for too many of us, we are avoiding that call. Why are we avoiding it? Because we don't see this call as good. We don't see the good that it is that Jesus would call us. I'm going to nerd out for a second. But we live within a time in which some philosophers and sociologists call the age of expressive individualism. Those are long words. They, they sound like SAT words, but we've all heard it because it's the worldview behind the popular mantra is follow your heart and be true to yourself. It's in, you've seen it before because it's in every Disney movie and it's in every Pixar film. I'll tell you, I've seen it because I have a kid that is five, I have a kid that is three, and that's all I watch these days. Pray for me. 
please send help. But this worldview pretty much says this, that your identity is not determined by what other people think of you. Your identity is determined by what you think of you. You find yourself by looking inside of yourself and living out the desires and the feelings that you find within. And if anyone would ever say, hey, listen, instead of following your heart, follow me, this worldview would say they're not helping you, they're harming you. They're stopping you from living your true self. So all of that to say, for many people, to follow Jesus and to conform your desires and will to his desires and will, for many people, um, because they live in this culture, it, it, it doesn't feel like freedom. It feels enslaving. It feels limiting. But I want to poke a hole into that this morning because let me tell you today, you don't always believe that. You don't always believe that. Stay with me. Listen to this. We will gladly limit our wills and desires to someone else's when we know that they can take us somewhere good that we can't get to on our own. Here's an analogy for you. Say you're a high school basketball player, man. You're trying to work on your game. You're trying to make it to the NBA. You're at a playground, and the opportunity of a lifetime presents itself. The second best player to ever play the game, LeBron James, approaches you. (laughs) And he says, hey, why don't you follow me? I'll train you. I got you. Come along with me. Or maybe that analogy doesn't work with you. Maybe you've just started learning how to invest. And Warren Buffett says, you know what, I can help you out. Why don't you follow me? You would not say to them, no. (laughs) You would do what they say because you see where they can take you. And the reason why you would submit your will to LeBron James, the reason why you would submit your will to Warren Buffett, is because you know that their ability to get you to the life that you want is better than your ability to get you to the life that you want. To follow them is not enslaving in that sense, it's actually liberating. And when we think about Jesus Christ, listen to me this morning, when Jesus declares, follow me, he's doing the same exact thing. He's calling you to a beautiful life that you can never get to on your own by following your heart. What kind of life is that? That is life with God. That's life with God. You can't get there on your own. And listen to me, if you've fallen asleep for, the, for, for, for everything I've said previously, I want you to wake up because I'm going to share with you the greatest news that's ever been shared in the entire universe. And this is the gospel. And the gospel is this, listen to me, that you were made by God and that you were made for a purpose. And that purpose is His glory. And when you live for your glory, when you live underneath His will, you know what that means? That means your joy. His will is synonymous with your joy. However, instead of trusting that God is for our joy, we believe the lie that our hearts will lead us to our joy. We treat God as if He's not trustworthy, as if He's not good, as if He doesn't have our best interests at heart. We disobeyed Him, and as Isaiah 53 says it so poignantly, it says, we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. We followed our hearts, and instead of following our hearts, leading us to joy, it's led us to the opposite. Mm -hmm. Death has entered into our world. Destruction has entered into our world. Division has entered into the world. And because we sin against an infinitely holy God, we are underneath His holy wrath. But here's the beauty of the good news. God did not leave us there. God the Father sent God the Son to earth. 
God the Son, Jesus Christ, came. He lived a perfect life and full obedience to his Father. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sins, rising again in power, proving that he is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He made a way for us to be forgiven and for us to be called sons and daughters of the living God. And, and, and how do we receive this? It is not by following our hearts but following the only one that can lead us to that kind of life, the life of salvation, and that is Jesus. That's Jesus. And then how do we receive that? We follow by confessing our sin and trusting in him as Lord of our lives. And when you do that, you experience true freedom. And the question that you simply have to answer is, will you take that offer? Will you take the call of salvation? Jesus is calling you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. The call is available to you. Will you take the call? I want you to consider that if you haven't. But I want to keep talking about the nature of this call so you can know what kind of call you're taking. So here's the next question we're going to answer. How much does this call cost? How much does this call cost? Here's the second point. The call to follow Jesus will demand everything of you. The call to follow Jesus will demand everything of you. You see, guys, we live in a world in which scarcity drives value. So if you want something to be worth more, what do you do? You make it less available. So we believe in our culture often is that we, if we see everyone with something, it must not be worth that much. And as a result, we can think that because the call of Jesus is widely available, it must not be worth that much, but this text actually tells us the opposite. The call to Jesus is available to all, and yet it is precious and it is costly. I want you to look at how these men responded to Jesus. Look at verse 18. Simon and Peter, after Jesus issues the call, it says what? And immediately they left their nets and followed him. When James and John got the call for Jesus, what does it say in verse 20? It says they left everything. They left the boat. They left the business. They left dad. They left everybody. And they followed Jesus. And here's the thing. What's interesting about this text, if you actually read throughout the whole Gospels, is this. The disciples didn't completely give up fishing. They fished again. If you read the rest of the Gospels, you read them in their entirety, you also see that they actually saw their parents again. Remember that story. When James and John's mother presented them to Jesus and said, will my son sit on your right and left? So they saw their parents again. They fished again. So what does it mean that they left? Here's the clue. Here's another passage where, where Jesus says later on, he says this. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here's the thing. This text gives a clue to what Jesus is getting at in Mark 1. His call to follow is not necessarily a call to leave the things that we previously valued most. He may do that. He may call us away from the things that we valued previously. He may call us to leave our jobs permanently or our families permanently and follow him. And to follow Jesus is at least to be open to the fact that, that, that he may be calling us to do that, but he might not. Let me be more specific about what he means. Listen to me. His call may not always be to desert our previous attachments, 
but it is always a call to devalue our previous attachments. His call may not be a call to desert all of our previous attachments, but it is always a call to devalue them. Let me give you an analogy. I live in a city of Arlington. Arlington is constantly ranked one of the best places for young adults to live. And because of that, people are always getting married at NBC Arlington. I'm doing a wedding every single weekend. Matter of fact, I just did one yesterday. Shout out to Austin and Bailey. Great wedding. But whenever I go to a wedding, let me tell you what I never see. I never see the bride and groom standing up front holding hands and, and, and the groom is giving, the, giving his vows to his bride. And I never see when the, when the groom is done giving his vows to his bride, I never see him turn to the crowd and give vows to his boys in the third row. You know why we don't see that? It's because of the nature of marriage. When you get married, you don't necessarily desert your friends. They're still your friends. But you are vowing that your bride comes first. You are, as the vows say, forsaking all others. So what that means is that if your boy comes up to you after the ceremony and said, hey, man, those vows, they were very cute, man. They were great. But listen to me. It's either her or me. Here's the thing. There's no let me think about that. It's her every single time. In a similar way, listen to me, when we follow Jesus, we are forsaking all others. It doesn't mean that we're not attached to other things. However, when those things rise up as rivals to Jesus, and they say either Jesus or me, guess what? It's always Jesus. Amen. Why? Because listen to me today. Jesus is worthy. He is preeminent. He is the pearl of great price. There are no rivals to him. He is, worth, he is worth anything that you will ever give up to follow him. He is worth more than your job. He is worth more than your family. He is worth more than your money. He is worth more than your possessions. He is worth more than your very life. Amen. He's worthy. Amen. But here's the thing. Let me give you a test. Here's a clue for you to look inside of your heart and to see if there are rival, attach uh, rival attachments there to Jesus. It's whatever comes after this phrase. Jesus, I'll follow you only if. Jesus, I'll follow you only if you make me successful. Jesus, I'll follow you only if you keep me safe. Jesus, I'll follow you if you fill in the blank. What comes on the other side of that if is what you are using Jesus to get. And let me tell you today, Jesus will not be used. When it comes to hearing the call of follow Jesus, know this, we cannot come to Jesus, listen to me, on our own terms. We are called to follow him wherever he leads us to go and whatever he tells us to do. Look back at verse 17. Here's the thing. The disciples drop everything to follow Jesus in response to what call? I'll say it again. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. See, we're going to get to the full weight of that phrase a little later. But in this phrase, we see that Jesus is calling his disciples to a process of transformation. He's calling them to become something that they previously weren't. He's training them so that their life matches his life. He's calling them to discipleship, or in other words, apprenticeship. So to explain this, let me go back to my previous analogy. 
Say the second best player to ever live, LeBron, actually says he'll train you. So he's the master, you're the apprentice, and you say, yes, hey, LeBron, I'll follow you, I'll follow your lead. And he tells you, okay, great. I need you to show up for 6 a.m. workouts. And you look at him and you say, 6 a.m., ah, that's a problem. You see, the way that my sleep is set up, man, I can't do 6 a.m. I like to sleep in. Or LeBron says, he says something to the effect of, hey, you know what? I got these drills over here. I need you to do these drills. And you say, no, LeBron, I'm good. I got my own drills. Let's do those. If that's you, you can't meaningfully call yourself an apprentice of LeBron James. Why? Because you're not even doing what he tells you to do. In training, LeBron is challenging you to do things on the court that can take your game to the next level and make it like his. And, it's, and what he's calling you to do is going to be foreign because you've never done it before. But you will never be transformed from an okay basketball player to one of the best if you're trying to take LeBron on your own terms. All this to say, you will never experience transformation as an apprentice unless you're willing to be challenged by the master. And let me take this to Jesus. Hear me today. Far too many of us think that we can be disciples of Jesus on our own terms. We claim to follow Jesus, and yet we know that we have not devalued our previous attachments. And hear me today. We cannot meaningfully call ourselves disciples of Jesus if we are unwilling to do what he says do. Uh, If we're unwilling to be stretched and challenged. Because when we follow Jesus, that always means that we're going to be doing things that feel weird, that feel different, that feel opposite of what we want to do. But hear me today, I'll say it again. You will never experience transformation as an apprentice unless you're willing to be challenged by the master. This is what discipleship is. It's demanding. And you may look at me and you say, Jesus calls us to do so many things. How am I supposed to be able to do this? Here's the joy. Jesus always supplies for what he commands. Jesus always supplies for what he commands. He placed his spirit inside of you, and he's given you the power to do what he's called you to do. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. You know what that means? That whatever Jesus calls you to do, he gives you what you need to do it. Have your faith in him. Trust in him. Follow him. He'll give you strength to do it. My last point is the answer to the last question that I gave you earlier. Who's all on the call? Here's my third point. The call to follow Jesus is bigger than you. The call to follow Jesus is bigger than you. See this text, he calls Simon and Andrew, he calls James, and he calls John. He calls disciples, plural, meaning this ain't a private call, it's a conference call. See in this text, he calls Simon and Andrew, James and John, and along with the rest of the disciples, he forms a community of disciples that follow him. It's interesting, when Jesus calls them to follow him, he doesn't say, okay, great, Peter, you can follow me from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., and James, you can follow me from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., and, 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 and so forth and so on. No, they follow him together. And matter of fact, when Jesus dies, rises again, and ascends to the Father, the disciples respond to his call by doing what? By planting churches, by creating communities of people that follow Jesus together, that hear the call and follow Jesus. So all that to say, when you follow Jesus, listen to me, 
there's a whole bunch of other people that got called to. They're on the call as well. The call to follow Jesus is bigger than you. And I say that to say this, that's not easy. Why is that? Let me explain. Look at the disciples. These 12 men who received the same call were so different. Peter and John didn't always get along. Simon, one of the disciples, was a zealot, meaning that he wanted to overthrow the government. Matthew was a tax collector, meaning that he was pro-government. So you had all these different people, different opinions, different views, but these men were united together in a common mission, namely following Jesus. And I think this reveals something about the power of God. Listen to me today. It is God's desire to use a people who are very different from one another, different opinions, different looks, different views, and he wants to unite them in order to show the world that he is powerful to unite a people that no one else can. This is what he wants to do. And let me tell you today, I don't mean to poke a hole in the balloon. We can clap now, but let me tell you, it's hard. It is hard because we all know deep in our hearts that Jesus calls a lot of people to himself that we would never call to ourselves. He accepted the rich and the poor. He accepted the Jew and the non-Jew, the smart and the not so smart, the slave and the free, the extrovert and the introvert, the right and the left. Any of these people were accepted by Jesus if they were simply humbly believe the message of the gospel. And here's the thing, Jesus tends to be open to a larger group that we tend to be open to. If we're honest with ourselves, with people that are different than us, we'll say, hey, you know what, it's, 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 I'm glad to be worshiping with you in the same auditorium, as long as you stay on the other side. Man, we'll say, listen, I'm glad to go on a mission trip with you, even to serve with you, but the people that I let in, the people that I want in my circle, the people that I do life with, I want those to be people that I naturally like. And when you do that, hear me today, you are telling God that your desire, or you're really telling God that your idea of community is better than his. You're acting as if community in the church is something that you create and conceive in your brain rather than it being something that you receive as a gift from God. To say it differently, and I'll give you an analogy here. You're acting as if community within the church is a tailored suit rather than a hand-me-down. Let me give you this illustration, and when I give it to you guys, let's make, it, let's make, it, um, let's make an agreement. Don't judge me, okay? So I'm going to share a story from my life. Uh, so I got married almost nine years ago to my wife, got married in Raleigh, North Carolina. I uh, love my wife, but I was a broke seminary student when we got married. I didn't have any money. And so when it came time to get married, two, months, um, two weeks before the wedding, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to pay for a, a suit? And that's when I uncovered JCPenney's um, return policy. I, I really do think, I, I, think they may, I think they changed the policy because of me. Because don't judge me, uh, we, already agreed to, we already agreed to this. So the policy was anytime, anywhere, any condition, if you buy the suit, you can return it, no questions asked. So I went, I, I went to the counter before I bought the suit, I said, hey, listen to me, let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm about to buy the suit. I'm about to go get it tailored because I got a weird body type. I'm about to party in this suit because I'm about to get married and I'm going on a honeymoon and I'm coming back and I'm going to give you back this suit. You mean to tell me that with all that knowledge, you'll take it back? And they said, yeah, that's the policy. I said, I'll see you in three weeks. 
And that's exactly what I did. But listen, so I went to go get the suit tailored because my body type is weird. You may not see it on the screen, but I'm, I'm a short dude and I got really long arms. So I had to get the tailored suit to really make it work. So I tried on the suit and the tailor comes and he, he cuts all parts of the leg and he tightens things up and he moves stuff around and cuts parts off. All of this to make the perfect suit to fit my weird body type. And here's the thing, we tend to think that the church should be like my experience buying a suit. We want to customize the church based off of our weird body types. So we have all these preferences and we have all these, we have our personality and we have all these interests and all these views and we only want to receive in the church the people that fit you. So you cut off all the people that don't fit. But hear me today, consider this. The church is less like a tailored suit and it's more like a hand-me-down. Hear this. A hand-me-down is something that you receive. You didn't buy it. Hand-me-down may be something that doesn't fit right away. A hand-me-down is something that may be a little frayed. It may be a little rough around the edges. Hear me. God is calling us to love the church community that he's handed to us. The people around you that you tend to ignore. The community in your church group that you, didn't, that, that, that you didn't ask for. Why? Because God desires to use unlikely hand-me-down communities called local churches to bring himself glory. Amen. Tailored suits, listen, tailored communities like tailored suits call attention to themselves. If you ever see someone in a nice tailored suit, you look, you're like, man, you look good. People are attracted to tailored communities because the people are impressive and they fit your preferences. However, the hand-me-down community brings glory to God. When you look at a community, when people are different from one another and the parts don't seem to fit and people can't figure it out, the very next question is this, how does that work? How does that work? How do you guys fit together? How do you guys love one another? How does that work? And to that question, then and only then we can, bro- we can boldly proclaim that Jesus is strong enough to unite a people that the world can't. We do this. Amen. We can clap for that. We can clap for Jesus. Listen, we do that by each and every single one of us being willing to receive anyone that Jesus has called. He calls us to reach the world together. Even as I close, verse 17, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the tool that Jesus wants to use to bring people into a church for the four corners of the globe is you and me, the church. They'll know us by our love for one another. So when Jesus says, follow me and you'll become fishers of men, he's just not talking about, he's not just talking about an evangelism strategy. He's saying the very nature of your life with one another, the fact that you'll be able to love each other across your differences and your preferences, the reason, your ability to keep Jesus first, when people see that, that will lead them to profess the God that you claim is real. So let's be about this, guys. We are on a mission. Let's maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's be about this work. Let's answer this call. And today, I want to invite you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, to do that, to answer the call for the first time. I've shared the gospel already, that while we have sinned against God, and God is just and good 
His wrath is against us. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. He lived a life that you could not live. He died the death on the cross in your place. So if you would simply come and trust in him, you can have eternal life and eternal joy in him. Repent and believe in the gospel. And for many of you today, I want to ask you to follow Jesus in obedience. You may be saved today, and you'll be asking, what do I do first? Let me tell you, get baptized. You may be here, you may have been a Christian for a while, and you've never actually been baptized. Here's the thing, to answer the call to follow Jesus, the very first thing that you should do, the very first thing that he gives us to do, is to be baptized. And baptized, you are going public with your faith. You are saying, I'm following Jesus, and I'm not turning back. You're identifying with this body called the church. And here's the thing, as I said in this sermon, Jesus is going to call us to do a lot of things. There are going to be things that feel impossible that he's called us to do and that he's going to empower us to do. Let me, let me tell you something today. Let me let you in on a secret. One of the easiest things that Jesus is going to call you to do is to get wet. So let's follow him. Let's be obedient followers of Jesus Christ. Let's follow him as he forms us together into fishes of men. Let me take a moment to pray for you. Father, you have given us the right to be called your children. We don't deserve a bit of that. And yet you call us to yourself even still. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that your done comes before our due. That we don't have to measure up. We don't have to do a whole bunch of things in order to be worthy of your call. No, you call us and you transform us into a people that do what you say. So, Father, may we not be a people that grieve the Spirit of God. May we be a people who, because of the gospel, we know that we are dead to our sin. And as Romans 6 says, that we now consider ourselves dead to sin. That we leave that behind. That we leave our previous attachments behind. And by the power of the Spirit, we follow you. Father, will you help us to obey? There are so many people in this room right now that you are calling them to do hard things and remind them, help them to know by the power of your spirit that you supply for what you command, that your divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Will you help us? We need you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.